0: You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report
1: all rumors.
0: That's right, another week here on the Geeks Watch. Uh, John, what are we protecting the, the listening audience from this week? Uh,
1: the 1973 cult sci-fi classic, Westworld.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, and we'll get more into it later, but I have to say like I've heard about this movie like for so long, and then now when the, with the TV show that's going to be coming out on, on HBO... Which we're gonna do a weekly um, review of, uh, just like we did with Game of Thrones. I really wanted to go back and watch it because, it, just so you, everybody knows, full disclosure, animatronics is one of the things that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> I can't go on like Splash Mountain at, at Disney World or Disneyland because when you get into that ride and all those animals and stuff are just flocking around and and. Moving their mouse and stuff—it scares the bejeebus out of me.
1: You had a bad experience at Chuck E. Cheese once, <laughs> didn't you?
0: You know what? I've never been to a Chuck E. Cheese in my life, but yes, that ah. would that would scare the hell out of me. Like that sounds like a textbook case of memory repression to me. <laughs> it really could be. It really could be. Um, like that that game, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. That that I can't play that game that much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll get into that eventually. Let's, uh, get into some news first, all the geek news that's worth talking about. We have, uh, let the right one in, which was a, a book, a novel first, you know, it was written by a Swedish author, then made into a Swedish movie, then remade into an American movie and is now being, uh, made into a TV show over at TNT has found their, uh, night or has found their young female, uh lead vampire and it's going to be played by christine frost frosteth uh i guess she she it says here she's a 19 year old model for an actress she was in rebel in the rye and prey neither things that i've ever heard of um i i've only seen the american version let me in with uh, uh chloe grace moretz uh i believe you've seen both versions right john yes i have and, well, I mean, how do you feel? I, I, me, personally, I didn't like Let Me In. I thought it wasn't that interesting. But what did? You, how did you feel about the other version and this one, I guess? You know,
1: it's really interesting because they're both directed so differently. And there's good things in both, to be honest. Like, I really like the original because, um, you know, being a European-directed movie, they don't have the same kind of taboos, I guess, or... Uh, hang ups. You know, yeah, that American audiences do. Right. So it it it's not afraid to go a little bit more out there with the other subject matter. Um that being said, the color palette is very cold, which makes sense because it takes place in, you know, Sweden. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's very cool blues and whites and stuff, whereas the American version which takes place in like New Mexico, I think. Has a lot of browns and blacks. It's very strange. It's they're almost like opposites, um, even though they come from the same source material. So it, it's an interesting study in like filmmaking to see like two different takes on the exact same thing relatively close together.
0: Yeah, I think um, personally, like I'm probably not going to watch the TV show, but I think this particular story would uh, play out better in a, a serialized. Format because I think one of the problems I had with the the movie that I saw at least was that you don't get enough information about like the, these said characters from at least not for me to care about them. So uh, the fact that it will be drawn out over probably ten episodes uh, would only make it better. How would you feel? I mean, not that we're gonna watch it, but just how would you feel about that?
1: No, yeah, I think it's definitely one of those where you could tell. Um there's so much backstory before the movie even starts with uh, the character, you know, who's obviously been doing this for a generation at least. Right. Um, So, yeah, I'd be interested to see what more they can pull out of that and, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of a preteen vampire girl.
0: Yeah, and you, I have to say, probably the the one of the characters that I was most interested in in the movie, and that's probably just because of the actor was uh the 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 cop played by Elias Codis, I believe is how you say his last name. You know, Elias like, Codius, I believe. Codius, yeah, yeah plays Casey Jones. Casey Jones from the original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. So always comes back to that. Yeah. It does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I I always love seeing him in different things uh all the time. I, I currently watch Chicago PD, so he's in that. I don't know if you ever caught that show or not.
1: I have not, but you should still definitely watch
0: The Prophecy. That one is also an excellent one with him in it. That's right. You did I you have told me I need to watch that and I you know what, now that uh I have access to more uh movies out there, I will try and I'm gonna try and watch that here. Yeah, it's it's a cheesy movie but it it works. He sells it. Good. Uh, I know you had a, a story that you wanted to talk about?
1: Yes. Uh, Donnie Yen just announced that he's going to be returning for Ip Man 4. Uh, Ip Man being, uh, for those that don't know, the martial arts legend that taught Bruce Lee how to kick ass. Right. And um, so this is like basically a series of movies that are depicting Ip Man's life um, from like World War two era china up until the 50s and 60s i suppose i'm not really sure where it man four is gonna take place because i haven't yet seen it man
0: three so i know i've seen i've seen yeah i was gonna say i've seen Ip man one and Ip man two uh and i know in neither one of those do they ever get to the point where he's training bruce lee so do you know if they do that in three or maybe if they're gonna that's gonna come up in four well, they tease it in part two at the very end,
1: um, you know, right before credits roll. One of the students comes in and says, Hey, uh, whatever, Sifu, you know, I have a student here that'd like to learn from you. And it's like this eight year old kid walks in, and you could tell this kid's got like attitude. You know, he's just like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be badass someday. And it man just kind of looks him up and down and says, uh, Come back in a couple years. And he just – and the little kid does that little, like, no swipe that Bruce Lee's famous for uh-huh. doing. I think I do remember this. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, uh, okay, so that's kind of – that's how they're going to do that. So depending on where Ip Man 3 takes place, which is – it seems really anachronistic because, A, Mike Tyson is in it. <laughs> and, B, they didn't even bother covering up his face tattoo. Right. So, like, I – I mean, when I first saw that being teased, I'm like, so are they doing a – like a time travel thing there where, like, you know, some interdimensional being like the Beyonder takes the best martial artists (laughs) from history and just mixes them together.
0: Well, he's not supposed to be playing Mike Tyson, is he? Well, I don't think so, but honestly, I don't
1: know. I mean, they're not doing anything to hide the fact that he's Mike Tyson, you know? Like, it just looks like him, sounds like him. Don't don't even bother. And, of course, he's not the greatest actor in the world by far, but, (laughs) like, I knowing nothing about it, I'm just kind of playing that out in my head what it could be. That's the most logical thing. Like, time-traveling, alien, creature wants to put all of the martial artists in history
0: together. Well, uh, that would definitely be a, t- a different turn from the other Ip Man movies. <laughs> yeah. But I would watch it if that was true. I, w- I would love to see that movie. Akumite in uh, extra-dimensional space where <laughs> they just time-traveled and plucked out all the greatest fighters of time
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be awesome there'd be like a caveman in there and uh like some
0: vikings and some knights yeah it basically you know what it would be it would be deadliest warrior that would yeah exactly it'd be deadliest or you know what it'd be like celebrity deathmatch if you remember that old claymation show on mtv oh yeah oh that show was awesome yeah (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, you know, Ip Man four. If uh, people are following that, I love Donnie Yen. And next, I think the next thing we'll see him in is probably uh, Star Wars Rogue One or Rogue One: A Star Wars Story. And that is correct. Uh, I would, i can't wait to see him in that. Uh, mm-hmm. I I have a interview with Ben Affleck who talked to Extra about the tactical batman suit that we've seen or the tactical bat suit that we've seen the one with the goggles that you know a lot of people were talking about or at least they were talking about about a month ago i think was when it came out uh in this interview ben Affleck says there's two suits in justice league one is the one that we've seen before and then one that he augments because of the nature of the mission which i can't give away but it was a chance for them to pay, play with the suit and add elements to it and kind of tech it out. And I thought they did a really good job. It was really fun. Now, <laughs> with that being said, I don't know if we particularly talked about that before. But, I mean, does I know, I know there's a tradition of Batman having all these different suits and stuff. Like there's the underwater suit and the, there's the snow Batman suit and stuff like that. To me, it's always been about, like, try, the, the, those things come up because they just want to sell another toy. Um, and that's all I feel like in this particular movie is that Batman gets another suit because they need to sell that toy. Whereas in Batman v Superman, you know, they had, what, I think two different versions of the suit. And then they also sold the the bat creature that comes out of Martha Wayne's tomb as a toy. Like, they literally couldn't think of any other toys to to make. So they just came up with that creature thing yeah that uh man bat thing was
1: <laughs> surreal there's too many dreams in that movie it was like <laughs> he was trying to like out
0: nolan inception or something <laughs> i didn't even think about that that's right they were like well no one made inception and he made the other three batman movies that were really good we should throw inception stuff in here
1: <laughs> but you know what i don't buy the, the whole uh I mean, yeah, that they, they make toys, you know, out of things. But I remember before the movie came out, there was a toy for Battle Armored Lex. And I'm like, oh, great. Are they going to have that in the movie, too? And they didn't. So they don't. I mean, they could just make toys, whether it's in the movie or not, really. Ex- like the, that's true. That's very true. Uh, one of my favorite Batman toys growing up from the original Tim Burton series was a gold-plated Batman with a jetpack. <laughs> and that was nowhere to be seen in the movies. I was just I don't even know what the the, the logic behind it was, but hey, it's it's a gold Batman. It's
0: awesome. <laughs> Cuz you know, gold wouldn't shine in the middle of the night when he's trying to hide from ba- from bad guys or anything. I think he was supposed to be like
1: atmospheric re-entry Batman or something. <laughs> got up into space. Got it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So is that, well, all he said is that there's, there is a logic behind it. We just didn't know it
0: yet. Right, exactly.
1: Uh, uh, maybe he had a few uh, Night Owl spare parts left. I says, well, what are we going to do with these goggles? Put them on Batman. Uh, let's see. Well, I got another story there uh, as well. If you're familiar with the What We Do in the Shadows mockumentary. I am. About the, the four vampires. It was really great. I recommend anybody who hasn't seen it to check it out. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but I found it very funny. That would also be me. I'm not, It's not my yeah. cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're making a sequel dealing with the werewolves that uh, are in that movie. Um, but they're also working on a, a TV spinoff. Dealing with a paranormal investigative team that's also featured in the movie, it's going to be covered uh, called "The Paranormal Event Response Unit."
0: Oh. And
1: it should, be, um, it should be in the same style of mockumentary where you have a camera crew following them as they investigate you know strange phenomenon. And uh, it, it seems they already have a, a season ordered, and it's going to be premiering in New Zealand first. And uh hopefully we get it on Netflix or something like that over here as well because um uh you know the Tremaine Clement brand of humor is not for everybody. I agree that a lot of his stuff is hit or miss. But there's you know, this one in particular
0: hits the funny bone for me. So it would be like um a lot of those ghost hunter shows that you see on like Travel Channel or used to be a lot on Sci Fi Channel and stuff, right? But just yes, making fun it's... of that and be parody to be scripted. Yeah, this one will be intentionally funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's you know that's it. I there are a lot of fans of of their brand of comedy. I just don't happen to be one of them. So uh, I hope it's good. I hope everything's good. Yeah, me too. So, um, this weekend was the, was the premiere of Luke Cage on Netflix. Uh, I personally have gone through seven episodes so far. And one of the reasons why I didn't get through more episodes is because most of Saturday uh, Netflix was was down. Like you, you couldn't watch anything off of it. So I, I just have to imagine that you know Luke Cage was doing so well, everybody decided to tune in and broke it ne- broke ne- broke Netflix. Uh, I think once the Defenders comes out, it will probably break all of the internet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all I can say is. Um without giving away where I work or what I do
0: for a living, that I had <laughs> yesterday off. You're glad that you did, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's true. So with with that also being said, well, actually, I mean, how do you feel about the the different shows so far, Daredevil, uh, Jessica Jones, and now now Luke Cage?
1: Well, I haven't seen Luke Cage yet, but it seems like, I mean, Netflix is doing a great job getting the right people involved to make the shows. And, I mean, I haven't had any complaints so far with their Marvel licensing. So I'm looking forward to Defenders. Um, my only, if if, it, if this could even be called a complaint, is um, I remember back in the day, uh, early 2000s, when the Iron Fist movie was being tossed around. Um, Ray Park was attached to it? Ray yeah. Park, yes. And uh, I even got to have a conversation with him about it at Comic-Con one year when uh, we ended up at the same after party and uh, Franey, our mutual collaborator, said, uh, hey, let me introduce you to him and just kind of walked up to him said, hey, Mr. Park, this is my friend John. I was like, whoa, you can do that? <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So then I just kind of like was pretending to talk to him like, like it was all cool and I wasn't squealing on the inside. <laughs> and uh, we talked a good length about Iron Fist, and he was telling me how excited he was about it. And um, you know, like I obviously he was an uh, accomplished martial artist. You know, he's played Snake
0: Eyes, he played Darth Maul. He uh, didn't he also play do like oh I don't know if he played but he he did this the the martial arts work for like Scorpion or Sub Zero or something like that in the original Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, he was the stunt double for Subs uh, for Raiden in oh. Mortal Kombat Two. Oh okay. Yeah. He he was uh uh, oh man what is that actor's name now from Warriors I can't think of Um, it at the moment but he was he was Raiden in the second movie okay that's it doesn't matter we'll go on yeah he was Dexter's dad I know who you're talking about yeah yeah, James Remar that's his name James Remar the guy (laughs) I love him (laughs) anyways sorry to cut you off but. Oh, that's all right. And, uh, oh, another fun
1: fact. He also played the Headless Horseman in the Tim Burton movie, Sleepy Hollow.
0: That's right. I remember about that. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's, a, you know, it's unfortunate that he doesn't get to play Danny Rand now. Uh, I understand, I mean, I kind of understand it from the, the, the studio side of it. You know, they waited way too long and he's a little bit on the older side, but I imagine he could still kick ass because he just did Snake Eyes in the second G.I. Joe movie just fine, but, uh. I would, I think, it'd be a very big detriment if they didn't use him somewhere in the Marvel, uh, uh cinematic universe, either movie, TV, or uh, Netflix show. At this point, mm-hmm. I vote for Darkhawk. Darkhawk! Wow, you're just going, you're going deep cut there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorites in the. Uh when I was little and I was like why doesn't this character get more attention this guy's cool <laughs> well you know like maybe we see we see uh, Stick and Daredevil so maybe like he'll be the person that trains Danny Rand in, in uh, oh, Iron Fist oh there you go yeah so that, that'd be kind of, that, that could be pretty cool or maybe he plays Danny Rand's dad you know I don't know uh, yeah, maybe well he's not that old but yeah maybe. well Danny Rand's dad died <laughs> when he was younger so it would be flashback oh flashback okay yeah alright I can get behind that <laughs> uh but also i wanted to talk about with luke cage we have uh tarantino who did an interview and he kind of talked about the the problems he had with the changes they made to the luke cage story he uh he being a huge fan of of luke cage uh this is what he had to say he said well frankly to tell you the truth i might be one of the pains in in their asses because i love the way the character was was presented so much in the 70s I'm not really that open to a rethinking on who he was. I just think the fir- that the first issue, the origin issue, was so good. And it was really Marvel's attempt to try to do a black exploitation movie vibe as one of their superhero comics. And I thought they nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So just take that issue one and put it in a script form and do that. The Luke Cage Hero for H- higher era. That's the era. And, you know, if you look at a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously look at a lot of, uh, Tarantino's movies, uh, especially as of late, he, he loves that grindhouse exploitation era movie where, uh, those type of characters are, are utilized. And, you know, obviously Luke Cage being created in the seventies as a comic book form of a black exploitation character that you see, you saw in, in, in the movies like, uh, Shaft or, uh, yeah, Cleopatra Jones, or uh, you know uh, Dolomite—that that was a, a, a sign of the times. But this is uh, obviously 2016, so I don't, they wouldn't do that. And I, the, from the episodes that I've watched so far, it's 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 very interesting because it's a very much the show is very much aimed at uh, empowering African American America, you know, kind of thing. Oh yeah, it definitely pays.
1: Uh, I think it does well from what I've seen, because I haven't seen the show yet. It looks like it does a good job of like paying homage to like the the 60s and 70s roots, while keeping it contemporary, which is a pretty tough thing to balance if you don't have the right tone.
0: Oh, very much so.
1: Yeah, but if Tarantino's really into that. Oh, you got to keep it like it was back in the day. You can, you know, you shouldn't be changing it. I recommend he uh, direct a movie about Lois Lane when she gets turned into a black woman for a short time.
0: <laughs> Do something with that and see how uh, how that turns yeah, out. Yeah, see how how well that works out for him, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and and what's I mean, obviously, you got to take Tarantino with a grain of salt, or you know, you have to under, you have to know. What type of Did you say a gram of Coke? Well, I said a green of salt, but Grandma oh, Coke might work too. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. I mean I mean look at it. I mean, I don't want to talk bad about the guy, because I like about fifty percent of his movies. Uh and the ones that I like I really like. But um he's a white director who thinks he's a black guy that's obsessed with <laughs> who that's obsessed with Asian culture, like and feet. So <laughs> uh you, you just have to know that he's kind of a kooky dude
1: you know i had never had tarantino distilled like that before but that's like exactly right <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is what he is he's uh he's uh Asian exploitation, and feats
0: that's, it <laughs> that's a, those are his movies <laughs> uh so there you go uh that's what uh that's what i had to say about luke cage this week but i, I so far i'm enjoying the series
1: all right i just had a visual of tarantino and Josh sweden having like brunches together and the conversations they have i always end up to <laughs> their feet of their co-stars <laughs> so
0: weird Wait, does does Weedon do a, have a feet thing in his movies cuz to me it, it seems oh, like yeah. a, it seems like a butt thing. He he always like has close-ups of of male and female butts. Well, that he does, but you can definitely
1: tell with um there's a lot of bare summer glow feet in Firefly.
0: Ah. And that's true. Um,
1: I believe in Avengers, he he had some tracking shots of Gwyneth Paltrow walking around barefoot.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: And uh, there's a couple others that aren't coming directly to mind. But, yeah, that I think that's his thing as well.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, maybe that's a thing for a lot of directors that I just haven't noticed. Uh, I just always remember Kill Bill, where it's just, you know, it's like a good six minutes of looking at uh, Uma Thurman's feet. Um, <laughs> oh, wasn't that appetizing. <laughs> I was like, uh, I could see toe hair. What the hell? <laughs> Hey, we all have toe hair, you know? She's just a person like everybody else. Yeah.
1: It just demystifies it a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah, she's got them hobbit feet
0: there. (laughs) All right, fair enough. What's your next story? (laughs) I'm cleansing the palate. (laughs) Um,
1: So this one has me really excited. Uh, Apparently, some guy I've never heard of from a band I've never heard of just tweeted a picture saying I may or may not have had a small role in Game of Thrones Season 7. And this guy is a very pretty man um, with long platinum blonde hair and he's also a singer. So if you kind of put these different clues together the most obvious character he could be playing is uh, Prince Rhaegar Targaryen. You know, one of the, the biggest characters in the story whom we have not yet seen in the first six seasons. Right. But he gets mentioned around a lot because, you know, his actions are essentially what started the chain of events of where we are now. Right. And uh, it's it's very interesting that he would actually tease something like that that's this huge because it's been kind of known that HBO's really tough on their uh, non-disclosure agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a lot of characters that have come before, or a lot of actors, you know, that get confirmed for having roles don't actually mention what they're doing until their show actually, you know, comes out. Like, we didn't know that we were going to have a Mad King um, in Season 6 until pretty much the flashback happened and he was there. And we're like, holy crap, is the Mad King. You know, we knew that Ian McShane was going to be in it but had no idea who he was going to be playing. Until pretty much literally the show, you know, his episode premiered, and it was like, oh, he's just like a one-off character. But it was interesting that uh, this guy, who fits—I mean, talk about a guy who looks like he was born to play a part. This guy is just like chiseled jaw, completely handsome. He's a singer. The reason why that matters is because Rhaegar is mentioned like half the time. If he's not, if they're not talking about how cool he was in battle, it was that he was also a fantastic singer. Really? And yeah, like they say that you either saw him with a sword in his hand or a harp, you know, like he was just that
0: kind of guy. So, if uh you you say that he was he, he's essentially born to play this character, what if like George R. R. Martin is actually a fan of this band and they he created the character after him? Maybe? I, I mean, that's the thing. Like it
1: it it seems too good to be true that this guy could be hinting that he's going to play Rhaegar. So it could be some kind of misdirection. I mean, maybe he's not even in it. Like he said, I may or may not have played a part in uh, Season 7 of Game of Thrones. Uh, This could just be somebody pointed out to him, like, hey, you know, you would make an excellent, uh, you know, this character from Game of
0: Thrones because of your hair and you sing. And so he tweeted it out, and then someone on the internet news cycle just saw it and was like, oh, maybe.
1: Yeah, because I definitely saw it after it's gone through several channels. Like, I got it on a... A Game of Thrones inspired uh, YouTube channel, and since then it's it's started popping up even more. Like it's definitely catching on, um, which is the only reason why, like I said, you know, somebody pointed out on one of those videos that HBO would probably have a shit fit basically if he did something so brazen.
0: Yeah, very true.
1: So I don't know. I mean, this guy looks like he could do the. I, I, his name is Devin Oliver. And uh, he's from a band called I See Stars. And Again, neither, neither of these are things I was familiar with before last night. So I still don't really i I saw one music video and I'm like, well, that's not my type of music for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it sounded like a much heavier version of One Direction, basically. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, I hope he's a good actor if he did get the part then. <laughs> Well, yeah. Or if if he's not a good actor,
1: I hope he dies well. (laughs) (laughs) If you know about the
0: character, you know that's pretty much what's coming for him. Well, that's true. That's very true. Uh, Stranger Things, another show that we've talked about on this podcast and very much anticipating season two. Uh, uh, The Hollywood Reporter interviewed Noah Schnapp, who plays the character Will, who was missing throughout most of season one, but we was the whole catalyst for the show uh they interviewed him and to, to ask him about his character and where he sees will going for season two and this is what he had to say he said there are so many ways will can go in the next season with how they set it up but honestly way anyway would be pretty cool but it would be pretty cool to play an evil will uh, obviously there are, uh, he's talking about how will is the nice one out of the group and obviously they're all nice, but Will is one who cares for all of them. He holds them all together, that big, long-lasting friendship, because he's so sweet and so easy to talk to. So, uh, you know, he go, uh, he, he's, he's obviously hinting that, or not hinting so much as he's playing devil's advocate, because a lot of people were out there saying that, you know, from what we saw at the very end of season one with him, uh, incubating eggs or inside of him or, you know, maybe something is growing inside of him with what he spit out. What does this mean? Does Will have powers? Will Will uh, turn evil? Will he be the opposite of Eleven? And And he also goes on to talk about how, you know, maybe Eleven will be kind of his Yoda and teach him how to deal with the fact that he was in the Upside Down or how to control his powers if he has it. You know... Up until now, I
1: just kind of figured, oh, he's probably just incubating the stuff and, you know, that's going to be part of the plot point for Season 2. But thinking that it could actually have an effect on his personality and he becomes Evil Will. First of all, I started hearing the disturbs down with the sickness in my head as you were saying all this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But also, in a weird way, like if it was to give him powers as well, like maybe not on the same level as Eleven, but... You know he's a wizard. He 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 loves talking about casting fireballs and all that. That would be pretty
0: awesome if like he becomes like some kind of dark wizard. Now that you mention it, man, that that uh, D and D game is becoming more and more relevant (laughs) in the show. So uh, I hope they bring it up some more in the next season. Yeah, it's going to
1: be the second campaign. (laughs) Um, just a real quick side note: Have you ever seen Night of the Creeps? Night of the
0: Creeps. I don't
1: believe so. No, it's really excellent. It's by the same guys that did Monster Squad, if you've ever seen that one. I have. I love that movie. And, uh, yeah, it, this one is more straight-up horror, though, and it's really awesome because it, it you could definitely see some of the influence that this movie could have had on um, on Stranger Things. Oh, okay. S- especially with the slugs at the end, because that's the, the primary antagonist in the movie is basically a zombie creating slug that, you know, takes over your body, makes you undead, and also when you die or you get killed, you explode and all these other slugs come out. Kind of like Slither. That's what I was going to say. That sounds very much like Slither, you know, the slugs, yeah. the whole slug thing. It's very it's very similar to that. It's definitely got some dark humor in it, but it's more of a scary movie. It's really cool. You should check it out.
0: I, I will, and, and listeners should definitely check that out too if they were really into Stranger Things because, I mean, I, I assume it's probably... Uh, it probably came out around the same time as, as as the TV show set uh yeah it takes place in the uh late 80s, late so, 80s somewhere okay. in that time frame now yeah. um i only had one more story left before we got into our our show did you have any more news stories that you want to talk about no that's it for me it's, i think we both have the same story actually yeah so we both were going to talk about the fact that uh at the premiere for um Westworld the TV show um J.J. Abrams uh, had made a little bit of announcement. He, I, I guess, the the reporter had asked him if there was any movement or news on uh, Half Life video game or the Half Life video game adapt- adaptation to the movie. So uh, from that, he said, "Make sh- uh, be, I guess, be paying attention because soon there will be an announcement for both a Half Life movie and a Portal movie." Yes. That is essentially what he said, and <laughs> the ramifications
1: of that are still being felt across the internet. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's huge because, I mean, as, as most video gamers who've ever played Half-Life know, you know that's, it's a long-running gag now that Half-Life 3 may never be released. And, very true. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that we lament because it's, it leaves on a, such a huge cliffhanger. And the Half-Life series alone is, you know, seminal for first-person shooters, adventure games. So, an announcement that they're working on a movie is, of course, you know, it should be much bigger news than it really is so far, to be honest. Like,
0: Well, well you, know, you have to say right now, it's it's literally an announcement to be aware that there will be an announcement soon. Like, it's, it, it's really nothing to grasp onto yet, but uh, <laughs> if they actually announce something... About either one of those, I mean, to uh, to be honest, I've never played Half-Life, but Portal, I've played the first one and the second one so many times, and it's one of my favorite games of all time, so uh, that one I'm more excited for, but I know Half-Life is the bigger game in general.
1: Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, I just recently got a Twitch account, and uh, I need a player two for completing uh, Portal Part 2. So if you're ever
0: down for that, we can live stream it. Yes, I think that would be a brilliant idea. I would love to do that. So I would love to play through Portal 2 again.
1: (laughs) Here's a a preview. It's probably going to be a a lot of... No, over there. Over there.
0: (laughs) Where I'm pointing. Shoot it over there. (laughs) Yeah, that will happen a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean... But once again, I mean, I know... In Playing Portal, there is a lot that you could probably do with the whole shell character in a movie. But other than that, how would a movie really work? I don't know. Would you go back to the whole Cave Johnson time? Would you stick to just what it is now? I, I, I don't know. I guess i kind of like to see both. Maybe flashbacks a lot. And They'd have to get J.K. Simmons to play C- J- Cave Johnson or oh, else yeah, they'd screw the whole thing over. <laughs> well he
1: made that character like they really nailed it with that one right um they well there's and also i mean the the portal and half-life both take place in the same universe so there's definitely some room for like cross uh pollination there with the stories um that being said i don't know if they're gonna focus on the shell character because i mean she's a mute protagonist true you know, same with uh I was going to say Morgan Freeman, but that's totally wrong. It's a Gordon Freeman. Gordon from Freeman. Half-Life. Right. Yeah. Although it'd be funny if it's
0: still a nerdy white guy, but with Morgan Freeman's voice, like his <laughs> inner monologue. Is... Uh, yeah. With the, the connection between the two, if I understand it correctly, was that the, the portal gun that you've used in portal was originally made for half life. And then they were like, well, when they were creating it, they were having so much fun playing around with it. They decided just to make a whole game out of it. <sighs>
1: Uh, sort of. They um, well, Half Life Two when that one came out, they had um, a gravity gun because you know Half Life was really big about having a a well-made physics engine, so you could really play around with like you know picking up heavy things and throwing them at your enemies, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so the people behind Half Life, Valve, I guess, were um, they were somewhere, uh, like some video game school. And they saw some guys that had created an original video game called Narbacular Drop. And the concept behind that was essentially what Portal became, which is you're inside like a maze or a dungeon type uh, environment, and you shoot portals in order to move around, like to reach ledges and get to hard to reach areas. Valve liked it so much, they bought the rights to the game and they hired all the students before their work with even complete and says, okay, we want you and we want this concept, but we want to make it its own thing tied to our universe. And yeah, they were originally supposed to include the portal mechanic in half life, but for whatever reason, they just decided to make it its own game instead.
0: Oh, okay. And, and, and you could still use the portal thing, though, if you have the right mods. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I do have to say that, you know, uh, Talking about a movie version of it, there are plenty of uh, you know fan made movies of of Portal on on YouTube, and one of them happens to be uh, made by Dan Trachtenberg, who directed the uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane from earlier this year, which was amazing. So, and his Portal movie, which is obviously very short, is 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 really good too. So, if anybody hasn't seen that, they should go and find it on YouTube.
1: Yeah, that was it was very well made uh for a fan film. I mean, I think it's what even got him on the radar uh for Bad Robot, you know, in J.J. Abrams' company. Right. So um I it definitely seems like that was like he's going to be a part of it in some form or another.
0: I w- I would definitely hope so. Uh and as as we said, that was all all brought to us from the premiere of Westworld the TV show, so uh, we're going to be talking about Westworld from what was the year again 1973 I believe 73 yeah uh the Westworld starring Yul Brynner now he is uh credited as the gunslinger in this because he's a robot in the in the Westworld theme park um but obviously he was uh the main character in the 1970 Seven version of Magnificent Seven. I don't know if it was what year it was, but uh, yeah, that was or 1960. Wow, even further back. So I wonder if you know that's kind of what they were going for to to bring back images of the fact that he was in the Magnificent Seven when they created Westworld to have him be the the main robot. Well, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm sure he was the Clint Eastwood of his day. Like, who do we associate immediately with westerns? Um, oh, Yul Brynner. <laughs> And so, like, I'm guessing in some kind of meta joke, you know, he was, like, the epitome of the cowboy
0: character. So, you gotta have him in your, you know, western-themed world. Right. Exactly. Um, Other actors in this was James Brolin, which I don't think I've ever seen anything with James Brolin being young. I've always only seen James Brolin be old. So, uh, it was interesting uh, to see a young James Brolin. And then Richard Benjamin, who... He's basically the main character, of Peter Martin, who, uh, spoiler alert for this, you know, already forty year old movie, uh, he survives. But um, his character has never been to Westworld before. Whereas his best friend James Brolin, or at least his friend James Brolin, has been to Westworld before and is kind of showing him around and what what to do. Uh, it was written and directed by Michael Crichton, which. I found very interesting and didn't know, uh, beforehand because, you know, the, we, I think I know him mostly from, from, for Jurassic Park writing the Jurassic Park book.
1: Yeah. He's, he's a interesting guy. The more you get to find out about him. I mean, not only was he a doctor, but also a screenwriter and director and he's not known for both of those. So it kind of tells you a little bit about that. <laughs> um, I think he also directed most of uh, the Thirteenth Warrior. Really, um, I love yes. that movie. Yeah, but that was heavily re-edited and reshot because I, I guess his working print was kind of a mess. Ah, so it was one of those where the studio took it over and, and then just tried to cut their losses. But uh, yeah, I think that was a fantastic movie too. Really good adaptation of the Eaters of the Dead. Right. Which in itself was, I think, an adaptation of the Beowulf myth or right. folk, folk tale. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah, <laughs> tele- game of telephone. But um, yeah, so Michael Crichton, accomplished sci-fi writer. You know, he does has done other movies like uh, Andromeda Strain, uh, Congo, which wasn't that great.
0: What <laughs> um, I love, Congo get out <laughs> especially <laughs> tim curry's character <laughs> actually i like that uh
1: bruce campbell was in it and i was so pissed off that he wasn't in it for very long
0: right well anytime uh, bruce campbell's not in anything for very long you should be pissed because bruce campbell is amazing
1: yeah i was like that's a wasted opportunity man
0: <laughs> but um
1: yeah and also he was the uh creator of er which I find interesting that that was originally meant to be a movie, but really? that they turned it into like 10 seasons of a medical drama. I'm like, wow, what what was the movie going to be
0: like? Yeah, a medical procedural that, you know, I guess could have, yeah, could have been a movie. Uh, but yeah, you, you got to wonder how that would have worked out.
1: Yeah, just uh, George Clooney. Oh, speaking of which, so kind of tangential to this, but... The whole time I was watching this movie and the two main characters, all I kept thinking about was how uh, the dark-haired guy with the mustache looked like George Clooney and his best friend looked like Christian Bale.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that would have been uh, the Benjamin, Richard Benjamin as the George Clooney and the best friend would have been James Brolin. But I, I guess you, I kind of see uh, Christian Bale and James Brolin. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, in
1: my head I kept thinking it was them because I, I kept trying to update it for some reason. Right. And I I then I could not unsee it once that <laughs> happened. Once
0: it took hold of my imagination. So, it sounds like on this um this theme park is, which is called Delos, uh yes. it, it there's three different worlds that you can go to. You can go to Roman world, uh Western, West world or uh medieval world. I think that's what it was called. And uh, yes. uh it was funny because on the movie starts off with like uh, a a reporter. It seems like it's supposed to be a reporter, but then it kind of turns into a commercial for Delos. But like he's interviewing people as they come off the plane from Delos, talking about where they went and how they had a good time, if they had a good time. And then uh, you know you, you get to, you you find out that it cost a thousand dollars a night to to be in one of these theme parks. Uh, uh, so obviously it's it's only for. At in the 1970s, I would assume the super rich if you're going to spend $1,000 a night. Uh, what what did you think about something like, would, would this be, if you had that kind of money and, you know, it was an option for you, would you want to do it?
1: Well, the first thing I thought of when they were saying $1,000 a night and how much money that was back in the 70s, I was like, wait, so adjusted for inflation, I wonder how much that would compare to, like, spending a, you know, a day at Disneyland these days.
0: It's probably not that far off if you think about it. Well, I mean, a day at Disneyland now is probably what three hundred bucks for a person, if you don't eat, <laughs> and if you don't stay at the hotel, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I imagine if you adjust for inflation now for a thousand dollars a night, you'd probably come up to a couple ten, like ten to twenty thousand dollars a night i think disneyland will get there before we know it <laughs> oh um, I, I won't <laughs> doubt it i mean there eventually we'll have the disneyland on, on the moon and that will be be around that that price lunar like, disney yeah that's right <laughs> that'd be, that'd it'll be, be just like cool. that episode of um, futurama yeah <laughs> we're whalers on the moon <laughs> um let's see uh I completely spaced. What was your question? <laughs> would you, if you had the the opportunity and the, the funds to do something like this, would you do it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I definitely would have liked to have hit up uh, Medieval World. It, okay, so now that you bring that up, uh, in the beginning when you see everybody on the plane to Delos, uh, you see a married couple that are basically watching an advertisement for, uh, for the, the theme parks, and when Medieval World comes up, this gentleman like i'm I'm assuming it's supposed to be his wife he kind of nudges her and points out the fact that he that's the one that he wants to do and he's very interested in it and then uh roman world comes up and they start talking about how there's a lot of a lot of men and, and oily men and stuff like that and the wife is very much more interested in something like that and he gets he gets a worried look on his face i thought that was kind of a funny gag i guess especially because you find out what it is that he does in maybe medi- in medieval world yeah uh, he tries to uh,
1: be all King Henry VIII. Doesn't quite work out for him. Doesn't quite work out. No. Now, we didn't do. Do we see what happens to the wife? Because I'd like to think that they actually do go their separate ways and just say, "Hey, look, when the, whatever happens this weekend, whatever we're doing, just remember." They're not real people. Right. So They're fun. robots. They're sex toys, yeah. basically. Basically, <laughs> I, yeah. I just
0: assumed that she did go to uh, Roman world because when he just starts cat-dogging it or, you know, or tom-catting it around in a medieval world, she's nowhere to be seen, so. Did you say cat-dogging? I did. I meant to say tom-catting. I just had a visual of cat dog for <laughs> when you said that. I'm like, wait, he was what? <laughs> How do you do that? Oh <laughs> uh, yes, a slip of the tongue, but uh, but funny nonetheless. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, I, I just recently watched uh, Mike and
1: Dave need wedding dates or something. Oh, I watched so that recently some... too. Yeah. So when they they make the push pop comment, it's like, what is that? What is that?
0: And, yeah. <laughs> kind of same thing, but for cat dog, right? <laughs> um, what? what uh, so they never really explain. They kind of you. You see a lot of the behind the scenes of the theme park, I should say, because um, we see uh, most of the time we spend the time in in uh, Westworld because our, we're following our two uh, protagonists, but they do show us a little bit of Roman world and a little bit of. A medieval world maybe a little bit more of a medieval world than anything else but uh they keep talking like the behind the scenes they keep talking all the technicians uh we keep seeing them talk about how last week there was this kind of discrepancy with the robots and then this week they can't seem to get anything working right or at least a lot of there's there's a lot of malfunctions do you think in the tv show they're gonna they're gonna give more explanation of why everything is malfunctioning Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just from
1: the trailer that I saw recently, it, it you can tell that that's kind of where they're going to go. Because uh, the the thing about the movie, uh, this movie, is it presents a lot of really heady concepts, mm-hmm. but it doesn't explore them,
0: like, it, at all. You're right, exactly.
1: You know, it, it, it mentions that, uh, you know, at the beginning they had an expected failure rate, and it's increasing, like, way faster than they can anticipate. And they even briefly kind of mention, um like a, essentially they're describing a virus without calling it that Right. they're saying that whatever the problem is it seems to be spreading um, you know it started in I think Roman world and it's been kind of going out to the other ones and they can't figure it out and at one point they even mentioned something like we honestly don't even really understand how some of these machines work now because some of them were made by other machines, you know, and it's it's improved on the concept or the design, you know, since then. And I'm like, well, that's a very uh, – there's a lot of ideas in here right. that you can make entire movies about, and they have, you know, like Skynet, for example, from Terminator, mm-hmm. kind of be derived from this type of thing. Uh, the machines from The Matrix, that was one of their big uh, themes is that, you know, we created an AI, and that AI created like a whole slew of uh, of intelligent machines itself. So at one point, you know, we basically created the machine god that created, you know, the matrix. Right. And um, they, there's no explanation as to what exactly is happening with the machines, but they are definitely becoming disobedient, not uh-huh. obeying their programming,
0: and... In the case of the gunslinger apparently holding a grudge. Yeah. yeah. that that was interesting because uh I mean, obviously the gunslinger is supposed to be the antagonist in Westworld, like just in general. Like anytime any any new people that visit that that, that world you know the 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 fantasy of being in a in a western is that you're gonna be the guy that comes in and takes down the the fastest gun or the guy who's terrorizing the city or the the town or something like that and that's what the gunslinger plays, but it almost seems like every time they bring him back every day after being shot he he still remembers the guy who shot him last time and he wants to get his revenge. Yeah, that's exactly what it seemed
1: like, but they I mean, like, like like I said, they present these themes and these ideas, but they don't really delve into them really. So you kind of just have to make the connections yourself, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, that that's maybe that was just style of the time
0: where you know. Well, I think that's you you show don't tell. Right. And I think that's, you know, there wasn't very many thinker heady movies like that that made it to the big screen. I think it was, uh, obviously this movie was more of a, I don't know. What would you classify this movie as? It's, it's kind of a, a horror adventure kind of movie.
1: Yeah. It's definitely like, uh, I wouldn't say dystopian cause it is just a theme park that's going down apparently. But, um, yeah, like sci-fi, um, I don't know. Is there something less
0: scary than horror, but still kind of like right uncomfortable? Well, that's I, that's what I was trying to get at. Is that I think if you were to make this movie today, and that's probably what the TV show is going to be a lot more like, it would be more of a sci-fi psychological thriller instead of a horror. And you would have the idea of you know maybe being chased by these robots, but you'd also you'd also uh, venture into the whole idea the the existential uh, meaning behind the fact that these robots are are malfunctioning to the point where they're they're becoming aware kind of thing
1: killing the guests right yeah. and that's the funny thing too is that uh this is essentially the same plot
0: as jurassic park if you think about it it very much is where instead of animatronics they actually did genetic modifications right and then there's also like a
1: theme of like these the the machines are like the replicants from blade runner where they even
0: have like the glowy eyes right See now, I, I think that it's interesting that you bring up Blade Runner because uh, in this movie, the one way that you can tell who's a robot and who's not is be- is through the hands because the, he, James Brolin makes it a point to say they can't seem to do hands quite right yet, so it, they look weird. Uh, from what I've seen to the trailer of the TV show, everything seems to look exactly right, uh, and you know, I I don't know if they're. I wonder if they're gonna if that's gonna be a big part of the new show—if uh, you can't tell who is a robot and who isn't—yeah, that's going to be
1: interesting. And that's where I was also getting like a really strong ex machina vibe, where you know, if uh, if the if the AI is so good and there's no physical distinction between a person and a machine, like how can you tell? Right. And uh, but it it definitely looks like they're going to be exploring the concepts of. Uh, the uh the the machines having personalities cuz one of the things i saw um not Dennis Hopper was Anthony Hopkins was right. asking one of the machines is um did you dream or something like that so I was asked something about like if the machine was having dreams right or like or did, did you dream again and that's a really big concept from blade runner or the original story at
0: least to androids dream of electric sheep well see, the way and, that I had seen that in the trailer was that uh because he's he brought her online, I guess is the best way to put it, while he's repairing her and, and talking to her that way, he's referring to Westworld as the dream. Like when she's uh being inside Westworld, that's that's his dream, that's her dream and that's the best way for her to process it, even though I don't know, that's just how I saw the trailer.
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to tell because I also got a, a a really strong vibe of um of uh wow, what was that other one that it's, I just had it in my head. Um, I think it was
0: iRobot. Or oh yeah, because in iRobot, where the robot he dreams of the of the of being a savior, or, or no, he didn't dream of it. The, the creator dreamed of a savior for the robots.
1: Yeah, and, like, the robot was having a vision of something, like a bridge or something. Yeah, it was really strange. Um, But also, of it also reminded me a little bit of Vanilla Sky.
0: Oh, where, um, yeah.
1: Jeff Bridges' character, when he realizes that he's just, like, a figment of, you know, Tom Cruise's imagination. Right. Like, a, a being that becomes self-aware within a, an artifice, I guess. That that's one of the themes that looks like they're going to be exploring. is like these are machines that, you know, start to realize they're completely artificial and they're simply there for other people's entertainment. But they're hinting at, well, they're going to develop, uh, you know, like actual consciousness. Right. And I think one of the themes they'll be exploring is, um you know, where does this, the self begin? You know, if something becomes self-conscious, is it still a machine or does it... Does it now have rights? You know, it's going to go into that kind of territory, I think. Oh, I, def- I definitely seen, think that, yeah. Think, which, all of these things we're saying were not in the original movie. Like, None. They kind of... <laughs> they, they get a little bit into it, but they don't explore any of that at all. It just becomes a survival thing at the end of it.
0: Right, exactly. And I, I guess that that was another thing I wanted to bring up, was the the whole fact that, obviously, after... Uh, the events in Westworld. If the the main character actually does, because you don't I, you don't really know if he gets off, gets out of there or whatnot, or what happens to him afterwards. You just see that he survives. Uh, you know, he probably. I imagine the rest of the world is gonna is gonna know about the fact that everything went crazy and killed a bunch of people. Uh, even before that, I think it would be pretty dangerous just to be there because. So in, in, the sh- in, the, in the scenario, he, James Brolin says, go ahead and try and shoot me. Because the guy says, well, what if I shoot a real person? And there's supposed, supposedly a, a sensor on the gun that doesn't allow you to shoot a human being. And all I could think about was uh, there's a scene earlier where uh, the other human there who's, who be- eventually becomes a sheriff. He pulls his gun out of the holster and he shoots at the mirror in his room and it then goes through the mirror and through the wall. Now, how do you know that doesn't go through and hit an innocent bystander? That's an actual person in the next room. Or when they get into the bar fight, someone easily could have broke the, broke a bottle and then stabbed somebody. That's, there's no sensor on that, uh, which then brings you to Roman world and then medieval world where they're using swords and stuff. How do you not, how, how, is there a sensor to stop you from stabbing somebody? Yeah, that reminds me there was an episode
1: of um The Simpsons where they go to Itchy and Scratchy Land and the exact same thing happens like the all the characters are animatronic and somebody accidentally switches the the setting from like do
0: not kill to kill. <laughs> It might have been one of the Halloween specials. I don't remember exactly, and I, but... I remember that episode, and I think I don't think it was a Halloween episode. I think it was a regular episode, and the way they they, they scramble all the robots is with the f- camera flashes. Yeah, flash
1: photography, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, I
1: thought that too. I was like, well, it would make sense if the guns weren't real because it turns out later they weren't really, like, normal guns because at one point Yoel Brainer's character tries to shoot the... George Clooney looking guy, but there's a little flashing light on the back of the gun that says battery. Yeah, that's true. It's it's like a battery powered gun. (laughs) So my thought was that the guns were kind of like light guns. Like they were completely electronic. And, um, you know, if you pointed at something that can be shot, it would react like it was shot, but you're not actually shooting any projectiles at it. It just like a squib essentially. Um, but that doesn't really make sense because you know it's the the logic is a little faulty, basically. <laughs> it's like the rules were not very well established. Like these things have guns, or these are real guns, but they have sensors, so you don't accidentally shoot someone. But somehow the old Brenner's character was able to bypass it.
0: Right. And still shoot but, the Christian yeah. Bale looking guy, which is James Brody. Yeah.
1: But they don't—they never explain how he was able to bypass it. Like they don't say was he using a different kind of gun? I mean, his gun should have not have had bullets to begin with. That's
0: what I you was know. originally saying too. I was like, well, why—why why would they even put bullets into the robot's gun? But I guess so that you know he could probably shoot near the actual humans and stuff would break her or, or you know something would happen so that it would still see, the 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 threat of something happening would still be real, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 there was a lot of stuff that wasn't quite I will, explained. I will be interested to see how they handle that aspect of it in the new TV show. Yeah, definitely.
1: I want. I mean, the, the the TV show, though. Speaking of which, looks <laughs> well. Nineteen seventy-three budgetary limitations. You know, everything's a robot. The horses, the snakes, everything. Right. The, the people. Uh, but to show you that they're robots you know there'll be a scene where you have somebody laying on like a, a an examination table and they'll have one little part where there's like a little circuit board exposed <laughs> and that's them working on it you know and <laughs> i was wondering too if everything's a robot and all the robots are malfunctioning how is the uh the main guy still able to
0: ride around the horse you right. know why is the horse not trying to kill him too <laughs> Uh, I, I guess they never uh, sw- made the switch over for kill on the horses. <laughs> yeah, it's like horses don't kill, snakes kill. Snakes <laughs> kill. Yeah. Um, another thing that uh, I was thought was very um, telling about the the movie was the, the when you get to see through the eyes of Joel Brenner's character, the gunslinger, and. And it's, I don't know if it's because he's taking so much damage or if this is what he sees all the time, but it's so, like, pixelated, the way that they're trying to convey robot vision. And all I could think was, how does he hit anything when he shoots if everything, (laughs) it just looks like a giant black blob? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was the the high-res dot matrix
1: pixelation of uh, (laughs) 1980s. Feeder printer. Yeah, (laughs) I I get what they were going for. It it was kind of like, well, in the 80s, they had a version of that with RoboCop where everything looks like it has scan lines. Right. But this is probably, like, literally the best they could do. I'm sure that was some kind of digital photography. And the state of digital photography back in the 70s was definitely very not high-res. Right. (laughs) But it looked very robotic. I mean, it definitely kind of puts you in that, like... Well, I definitely can tell that this is what a robot must be seeing.
0: So just, uh, looking at the It trip... made more
1: sense. Oh, go uh, ahead. I was going to say it makes more sense later when it looks like he's using heat vision. Right. Like that that kind of makes it fit a little bit more. But when they're outdoors and he's just kind of looking around in the, the desert, yeah, it's just like a big brown blob. And like you can kind of tell where the sky is a little bit,
0: but that's about it. <laughs> Uh, Looking at the trivia on the movie, it says the first use of computer digitized images as part of a feature film, not merely monitor graphics, was the Gunslinger's point of view in Westworld. After the process was finally developed enough to produce satisfactory results, it took a mere eight hours to produce each ten seconds of Gunslinger's pixelated POV. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Well, we've come a long way. (laughs) Yeah, we've definitely come a long way from uh, 1973 so there you go there there's that um oh apparently this was also the same western set used in blazing saddles in 1974 you know i was gonna say like i've seen
1: this in a different movie and i knowing hollywood they reuse sets and stuff i just couldn't place which
0: one and now that makes more sense (laughs) okay anything else you want to say about this movie before while we wrap up
1: um, watch it if you're a fan of sci-fi and you kind of want to see where a lot of modern movies get their inspiration from.
0: Not just movies though, like TV shows too, like as we were speaking with, uh, with the Simpsons, obviously it was a very much a, uh, homage to Westworld.
1: Yeah. That specific episode. Yeah. And there's other things too, like dollhouse that explores the, the concept of like the artificial beings or whatever, or, mm-hmm. uh um, yeah, you know, being disobeying programming, which is something um, I
0: very much enjoyed. I liked Dollhouse. I thought it should have got more than two seasons. <laughs> well,
1: that's the weed and curse. That's true. <laughs> if he, if he could focus on something other than the feet. Maybe he can get some work done. <laughs> Brought it back around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm right yeah, there. It, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say it has me psyched for the for the show because now that I have the. The basic gist of it, like in my head, I can kind of see where the, how they may expand on the themes in the show. Um, I now, now that I understand where that kind of Vitruvian man wheel thing comes from, like what that's supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, that, that looks like that's how they create the artificial beings. And they basically create the, the human form around the metal, like skeleton or like very Terminator-like. Right. That looks kind of interesting. So um, I'll be interested to see how
0: they do it. What they where they go? And, uh, and I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's it is for anybody that would like to see kind of a motion picture history history kind of uh, thing where you want to see where a lot of the ideas for a lot of modern day sci fi comes from. You know, you have to check out some of these older sci fi movies. Uh, I also saw that there is a sequel to the movie called Future World, which. I don't know. Maybe I want to check out now because I've seen the I've seen Westworld. You know, I thought that was a knockoff when I saw that
1: show up on uh, my feed. <laughs> if that's a sequel, I'll have to check it out too. Now, yeah, I can only imagine what their version of the future is back <laughs> in the seventies.
0: Yeah, it was made in uh, nineteen seventy-six, and it's got Yul Brenner returning as the gunslinger again. So it's definitely a sequel in in all correct rights. So. Yeah, I might have to check that out just to just to see where they went with the story. Yeah, maybe it was like Jurassic World. You know, it's been a, a few <laughs> years, but they reopened it. Everything's good again. <laughs> oh no, it's not. Oh no, no, we still we still messed up. We we created things that were very bad. <laughs> I think the lesson is just don't create AI for entertainment purposes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, all right. John, uh, uh, next week we'll start our uh, review of the Westworld TV show every week, so listeners can look forward to that and watch along if they can, just like we did with Game of Thrones. And uh, anything else you want to talk about for this week? Uh,
1: No, I'm good. Uh, uh, Actually, there is one thing. I came across uh, an interesting YouTube channel um, where they discuss the difference between books and movies. And I found it very interesting because, um, you know, like speaking kind of tangentially with uh, Jurassic Park, you know, I've read the book and I've seen the movie and they're both excellent. But there are some interesting differences. And um, this one particular YouTube channel um, does a habit of comparing the books to the movies. Really? And, yeah. One of them, like, for example, was Harry Potter. Uh, And one of them was Roger Rabbit. It was actually the one that got me interested in this channel to begin with. I didn't know Roger Rabbit was a book. Neither did I. And according to this, the book is insane. (laughs) I can only imagine. It is – yeah, it is very different. And uh, so the the YouTube channel is called Cinefix. Um, Like I said, they do a whole series, you know, like book versus movie of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory – um, Harry Potter, Coraline I mean there's a whole it's a whole series and uh, yeah definitely check out the Roger Rabbit one if you're a fan of Roger Rabbit and didn't realize like you and I did that uh, it was based on a book just how insane it is it's it's such a different concept it's like you just have to check it out Yeah. so it's like uh, Cinefix uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit What's the Difference? Is the title of that specific video? Um, you can also just type film versus book, Roger
0: Rabbit, and it should bring up the same one. It's very entertaining. <laughs> there you go. Uh, awesome. I will try and put that in the show notes. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, I'm at agent under, underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, John, you're also on Twitter as I am at magic bollocks and you can always like us on Facebook and check out our website at, or our website is just GeekleatRadio.com. So, until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch saying always remember to geek out. Geek out.
1: We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.